Welcome to the Disney View Podcast. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer. He's a one-time cast member, and he's been to Disney World literally hundreds of times. Listen in as he talks about one of his favorite things, the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, and occasionally beyond the Orlando theme park. And now, here's your host. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. In my last podcast, I sort of painted the picture of what the Hall of Presidents is, where its historical place lies, and how it all kind of fits together. And I described some elements of the show that made it kind of interesting and talked about some of the compelling pieces and what they did to make things stand out. In today's podcast, I wanted to present to you the original audio from the show as it appeared from 1971 to 1993. As I mentioned in my last podcast, the only major differences were that they added new presidents as they came along, but essentially the show was the same with the same narrator and so forth all the way through that time. So now I present to you the Hall of Presidents. Having lived long, 
I have experienced many instances of being obliged to change opinions which I once thought right. The older I grow, the more apt I am to doubt my own judgment. I cannot help expressing a wish that every member of this convention who may still have objections to it would with me doubt a little of his own infallibility and to make manifest our unanimity put his name to this instrument. This was the moment of decision. New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York. When the ceremony was over, 39 delegates had come forward to write their names. Only three withheld their signatures. Thus, on September 17th, 1787, a new constitution to govern the American colonies was signed at Independence Hall. This newly created government was unique. In a world of kings and emperors, would it actually work? The first test was not long in coming. It occurred in George Washington's second term as president, an incident known as the Whiskey Rebellion. In colonial times, corn was an abundant crop but difficult to transport, and for convenience was often converted into distilled spirits. Since this important byproduct was shipped from state to state, the federal government saw fit to levy a tax upon it. But the people objected in principle, and before long their opposition had flared up in riots. Here was the first challenge to the federal authority. The question remains whether the president has any legal right to use force. As to the legality of it, Governor Mifflin, I have here an opinion from Justice Wilson advising that the courts of your state are unable to deal with the crisis through ordinary judicial proceedings. Under the law, this would empower me to use the federal militia. Fortunately, the rebellion ended without bloodshed. The mere size of the militia overawed all further opposition. Washington had shown his people that the government was prepared to ensure domestic tranquility when necessary. Some 40-odd years later, President Andrew Jackson would know the threat of secession. The federal government's terrified to hereby declare null, void, and no law in the state of South Carolina. force be used to execute the measures declared void, such efforts will be regarded as inconsistent with the longer continuance of South Carolina in the Union. Tell them from me that they can talk and write resolutions and print threats to their heart's content, but if one drop of blood be shed there in defiance of the laws of the United States, I will hang the first man of them I can get my hands on to the first tree I can find. With the people behind him and Congress supporting him, Jackson stood by the Constitution. For the moment, the crisis passed, but it would come again. By 1858, the cause of sectionalism had grown stronger and much more bitter. The burning issues of the day were brought into national focus by a series of debates between the glib and talented Stephen A. Douglas and a self-taught lawyer named Abraham Lincoln.
Sturgis says he, he doesn't care whether slavery is voted up or voted down. Neither do we, Lincoln, you know nothing. Well, friend, I may not know much, but I think I know right from wrong. Now, you say that you don't care whether slavery is voted up or down. Any man can say that who does not see anything wrong in slavery. But no man can logically say it who does seem wrong. Because no man can logically say he doesn't care whether wrong is voted up or down. I say this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. A house divided against itself cannot stand. That's what you think, you long drink of water. Yes, my friend. That's what I think. That is the real issue. That is the issue that will continue in this country when these poor tongues of Judge Douglas and myself shall be silent. As I say, I have known Mr. Lincoln for 25 years. He is a fine lawyer, possesses high ability, and there is no objection to him except the monstrous revolutionary doctrines which he conscientiously entertains and is determined to carry out if he gets the power.
But the people couldn't forget this plain-spoken man from the prairie. And two years later, they sent him to the White House. Without you, the Constitution is only a piece of paper. I know there is a God, and that he hates injustice and slavery. I see the storm coming. I know his hand is in it. If he has a place and work for me, and I think he has, I believe I'm ready. I am nothing. But truth is everything. And with God's help, I shall not
far, say the wise men, there lies the future. In remote and distant worlds lies the riddle of tomorrow. But where is its answer? If a free world is to endure, then the principles of self-government must be perpetuated. The Constitution is the rock. And the leaders of tomorrow must be as dedicated to its preservation as were the leaders of yesterday, as are the leaders of today.
shall we expect the approach of danger? By what means shall we fortify against it? Shall we expect some transatlantic giant to step the ocean and crush us at a blow? No. All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined could not by force take a drink from the Ohio or make a track on the Blue Ridge. At what point, then, is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer, if it ever reach us, it must spring up among us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we ourselves must be its author and its finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. Surely God would not have created such a being as man with ability to grasp the infinite, to exist only for a day. No. No. Man was made for immortality. Well, that's my show for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. Show notes can be found on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. Looking to do some travel planning? Want to find an authorized Disney vacation planner? you should visit Destinations in Florida. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound On Music. You can find his music at ReverbNation.com slash SoundA. Our thanks also go to Doug for his continued contributions to the show. You can find links to other great Disney podcasts, as well as the latest Twitter feed and the Disney Buzz 
on DisneyPodcast.net. And don't forget to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There's a Hidden Mickeys app for finding and sharing hidden Mickeys at all of the Disney parks around the world. There's also an app designed especially for pin traders. You can keep track of all your pins and your wish lists. Please be generous with your time or a donation to Autism Speaks. We do hope that you've enjoyed your visit and that you drive home safely. Show number 117.